Hi, my name is Janet. I'm from MJ Property Management. You are listening to SME Stories Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Everybody, thanks for downloading the show. We got a great episode today with Janet Zhang. She is an Airbnb super host. So the theme of this episode is going to be strictly around how to run an Airbnb business, what are some profitable strategies and tips and tricks on how to really do it efficiently. Also, a real estate investor as well, which we're also going to touch into a little bit in this episode. A little bit of background about Janet. I've known Janet for probably over 10 plus years. And surprisingly enough, she's also a former co-worker of mine that we used to work at a fitness certification company. Now, we have a few guests already on the podcast that were like that with, with Aaron Okada, Aaron Anderson, and Brian Oliver Francis for digital marketing. We all came from the same uh, company. So we have a lot of interesting stories about that. So back to Janet. She's awesome. She's a mother, wife, entrepreneur, and she's going to teach you guys a lot. So sit back and absorb. All right, guys, we have Janet Zhang of M&J Property Management. How are you doing today, Janet? I'm doing great. Thank Good. you. How are you doing, Ken? Doing all right. Can't complain. Just trying to enjoy the weather. It's starting to warm up now. So uh, hopefully the snow will all melt. So Exactly. Exactly. That's the hope. That's the hope. Exactly. All right. M&J Property Management. What is your story? Yeah, so the story is I moved from China to Canada when I was 18 years old. And then I shortly find that not having a stable home and moving around as when I was an international student, it was quite hard. And convincing my parents to sponsor me to buy a first real estate property when I was at the age of what, 18. It was quite a joke to the realtor I hired. And then she was like, hey, are you serious? Like sponsor you to do it? Like they actually trust your judgment um, to find where the location, what's the property, and a lawyer signature and all that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm six months past 18. I think I can do it. Look the, out of the choice of the property. Yeah, so that was my story. Fast back to, fast back to a few years later, then I went to University of Toronto for accounting degree, then got my accounting designation. But the story on a real side is now we have portfolio about condos, we have houses, we have basements for rent, we have cottages. It has been like interesting side gig for me for now 20 years. Okay, and you hear that folks, side gig. So she has multiple properties in her portfolio from houses to condos <laughs> to basement apartments, and it's still a side gig. Okay, that's, I think that's going to be yeah. a really good story here. Wow, so you're a real estate investor, and from what I understand as well, uh, Airbnb super host, right? Yeah, that's right. So it was uh, three, four years ago, I was on maternity leave. And on maternity leave, you have this one year, 18 months off, and then I was just raising kids. Then I was just so bored, so bored. Like, I I, I can't stop doing that because my full-time job is on hold. And I raised the kids. I was just like, I'm so bored. I need to do something else. And then I was like, oh, what if we just start looking at vacation properties? And then we were locked, we looked, and uh, everything was so expensive. And at that time, because I didn't really have a full-time employee job, mortgage was being hard. So we looked and looked until we found something like, hey, that's an interesting cottage park. It's a lower investment engineer, lower barrier, but higher management fee. But at least we could go and enjoy the family and this, that. So that was the mindset. 
But until we buy the property, I realized the management fee was actually pretty high. And I didn't have a full-time job. And then the kids is expensive, as you guys know. And I'm like, how do I make it work? I'm like, hey, I'm a business leader. I can make it work, you know. Open new side gig of revenue streaming, college, rentals. So I did that in my first year. The, the goal was to break you up. And then I think the management fee was like 15000 I'm like, if I make it 15000 I'll be so happy because then it's, I can stay for free. That was the whole mindset. So I did all the right things, you know, set up the whole business, market it, operate and run it, and have to deal with multiple challenges on operation risk. Operation made it need a detail, but by the end of the first year, like we had a revenue of forty thousand, and then last year was sixty thousand. So wow. it, it become a new revenue stream, and instead of like a side cover cost to the K two property, right? Because I think as some people, when they look to invest in real estate, whether it's like you said, whether it's their own home business, whether it's their own home, their home in general, or they want to try to get an investment property, there could be something that like some people will use that as say, you know what. Maybe if I can invest in something, have, have you know, rent it out every so often that uh, if I can generate some money that, you know, it covers the cost itself. And if we ever wanted to go there and hang out ourselves, we can do that for free. Or the people who decide to rent out their basement for their own house just so that it cuts down their monthly expenses. So it's interesting the fact that uh, I don't know if you guys caught that she got into it because she was bored. So most people, <laughs> when they think of maybe getting bored, might think, oh, maybe I'll just take up a hobby play a new sport, learn a language, oh, I don't buy a property. That's usually the first thing that would come to mind for, I think, a lot of people. But I think for entrepreneurs like Janet is and like myself, you do look at things a little bit differently that way. You look at what else could be there. Wow. So you started all the way. So you got your first property back when you were in 18 years old. Yeah. And, and that was to live, right? You didn't rent it out. You, it was just for you to start living in first, right? Right. It was just where we do live. And then once I have to move out of that property, of course, the decision to keep it and now has been renting it for 10 years. Okay. Mm. And so what is it about the real estate thing that that you were drawn to versus any other ways you could have uh, made uh, money? I see. In money making, you have to have multiple revenue streams. It wasn't just the real estate I chose. I chose different. I chose the investment. I chose insurance. I chose full-time employment. And I choose real estate. Real estate just happened to be when actually actually make the most money in all those side gigs and actually surpass the full-time job. And in Canada, to be honest, you can never really be rich by making T4 income. That's you just cover your daily expenses and rent your household and have a stability, have, have interest, and then have a safe keep in mind. I leverage my T4 income to really low mortgages so I can invest in other things. Mm. <laughs> and have my money to make for me, uh, to work for me. So two reasons why I decided to invest in real estate because it was a natural thing. I need a house to live. And then uh, going down the stream and be like, oh, I feel like, oh, the, then if I rent it out, the two key decisions. If, if I can keep this property rely on, if I can get the cash flow sufficient to cover the operating cost of that property. If that's yes, then it's 50%. Yes, I should keep that because I will enjoy positive cash flow and plus increasing in value from this property going through the time. Mm. And second thing, very importantly, if you are able to find the positive amount of a mortgage that is to support you to put a down payment and plus not be able to move on to buy another new property. So a lot of people get stuck off, I own a house and uh, 
of course, but if I want to change into a new house, I have to sell this house to get a new house. But I would highly uh, suggest you guys to cash out some of the equities and then uh, some of the money you made from the first house. Because that people have from one two 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 four four two six six two eight. They pull money from their own other sources, put into it as a down payment. But most importantly, they pull equity from all those raising prices to buy the second one, to buy the third one. And then if you do that strategy right over the time, good in pace, you will, you will know that all your properties are self-sufficient. Some of them even provide a positive cash flow for you. So you can live a better life and then go travel, go do other things you always want to do on, on top of your T4 income. And then, and it's brought this time because the real estate market was just booming so much to start in 2005 in Toronto. And then I bought the first one in 2001. So it was a good timing, but it was a lot just because I, I needed a condo. Mm. So fast forward, the real estate market has been going up and up every year. And even the year they say, hey, it wasn't good. It was really just a plateau. It was just really flat. And it was under flat for a few months. Never really succeeded six months. And then it goes up again. So yeah. again, going back to board. Yeah, so getting bored, looking at investment properties. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. And, and like you said, you talk, you touched on the, the real estate prices going all over the place in terms of going up and up. And I know they're going to be eventually, I think, uh, as we were recording this in March. So if we're, it's, I think by April, they're going to probably start increasing the the interest rates. So, of course, mortgages are going to go up. They're going to try and cool the market. Whether that will be successful or not, that remains to be seen. Because I, I always have a feeling that prices are still high because the demand is so high. The supply is not catching up. And okay. I think that there's been a lot of, I think, multi-generational families going in together to to yeah. be able to afford these prices. Because I think the typical family of, okay, we'll just be able to buy a, a property, you might not have enough down payment for it. So then yeah. you say, okay, what else can we do? Okay, if we include a friend or another family to join and a friend or another family to join, and then they pool all that money that, oh yeah, now we're good. We got the 20, 25% down payment. We should be good to go. And then yeah. I think uh, one of my previous guests, she was also a real estate, uh, she's a real estate agent, broker, and also invests as well. And she's saying, yeah, then maybe they, they will stay maybe for about five years and then they'll cash a little bit out and they'll start to separate and get their own properties themselves. So it's not too bad from there. Interesting thought. You run your property management business and that covers mm-hmm. all the properties you have. So it's just, is it you yourself, you and your husband, or do you hire staff for that to run your business as well? How does it work? I see. So for the yearly turnover, so like a condo, the basement or houses, it's like those to find a tenant and then you just go for it. And then if there's repairs, you deal with it. But really, if there's no repair issues, all you do is message them, uh, message them uh, once, per, once per every uh, year and then give them, show your face and maybe surprise them with some Christmas gift. They'd be like, oh my God, my landlord is so approachable, and right? <laughs> and it's text you messages. But from landlord side, really, as long as you keep the property clean and not damaged, and then two, you, you pay the rent, and three, you don't complain too much on unnecessary fixes, you're an excellent tenant. So oh. for the Airbnb side, I needed to leverage some of the help because it's not a yearly turnover. It is uh, the minimum rent starting date is two days. And then most of the people are tend from two, three days all the way to seven days in the summer. So there's a lot of checking, check out, cleaning this and get this. My propane doesn't work. How does the barbecue work, etc. So for that, actually, it was one of the biggest operation challenge. 
because uh, I don't live anywhere close to my cottage. It is three hours driving away. I can't be like, hey, I don't know how to use barbecue. I'll be like, okay, be there in five minutes. Right. I, it doesn't work that way. No, you so, here's the YouTube uh, video of the model. So just quickly look it up and you can probably, no, I'm kidding. That's, I don't know what's the best way to do that, but <laughs> sorry, continue. Exactly. So I, I've, uh, I've hired multiple companies to, as a cleaning company and also as a site of property management companies in the past. Sometimes I first start hiring some individual just on their own, but then I feel like the level of service wasn't where I wanted to be. And then sometimes I hired a, another company who the rate was too high and then the quality still wasn't as good. The person wasn't detailed enough to follow exactly my instructions because I'm very particular. I think the, the, the quality needs to look very spotless, very clay, very welcoming, and very beautiful. So I have a full procedure about exactly which pillow, which 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 towel needed to place and how it's being placed. And I want people to follow that. Uh, by return, I give them a lot of business, like over almost the three to $5,000 annual business as a single client. So right. they, so again, it's, it's a bit of exploring. So at a day, uh, year two of running the cottage business after working, you know, with three different batch of people, finding this uh, little cleaning company and just have four or five employees and then the owner is so nice and living in the area, they go beyond than just the cleaning, but also a little bit on the property and management side. So that's, that's who I hire. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So for your, the properties that you're easily accessible to, you self run it. And like you said, any repairs, any questions, that's no problem for your yeah. Airbnb property. That's a different story where you actually Hire out, like mm-hmm. you said, a cleaning company and also property management company for anything like that. Okay, good That's to right, know. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. So, mm-hmm. what kind of growth do you expect to see this coming year? Now with now things now I don't know if you, like the latest announcements. Things are starting to open up more now. So, yeah, do you expect to see? You, you expect you're gonna your Airbnb will be renting out a lot more this year. Are you thinking about adding a, another unit or two? So for Airbnb, I think uh, the trend is every year is running up. Even on the year one of COVID 2020, I thought it will be very uh, good business because mm-hmm. the people are probably very scared to travel. At the beginning, people are very scared and government are very loud and voice about to avoid or unnecessary travel. And we're closed for some period, which Airbnb business also has to close because it's government restricted. And then we open. But even with that, like as soon as open, people just book in. By the way, like those people who love travel, they have nowhere to travel. They cancel their air ticket. And where are they going to go? They can go to local cottages. At least it's a self-contained unit by their own. And then for me, as a radio business side, I'm on one side, yes, I would like to break even, but I'm a business leader. I think the reason why I have it or go through all the trouble to run this business is to make money. Yes. <laughs> to have a better life for myself. Mm. So how do I sustain a better revenue? I basically just increase the price. Yeah. yeah. So by increasing price, although it's a lower night, but the total revenue is the higher. And then every month, again, 2021, we're doing COVID. We had a bunch of extra COVID operating associated costs, but still people are just willing to pay that. This year, I think it will be even more because the government is paid for the incentive, giving people tax rebates 
Oh I yeah, didn't didn't, that. didn't they say yeah. that for the for Ontario especially? I could have sworn that the premiere was Ontario. Like that. Yeah. It, it was it was Ontario. Yeah, so for like the uh, you can uh, you know get a certain amount of money back. It's like government paying that portion for you to go. So it will booming up. Plus, it's really open up. So uh, the people I captured three years before are those people who usually I think out of box and a little bit of the risk taker because Apple is a risk taker. Mm-hmm. But now we are tapping a larger market about every people who is just following Justin and the public the risk taker. And then for the people who is very risk conservative and then just love to stay in the house no matter what, I don't care about that component <laughs> anyway because because that new component is enough to sustain a really good quality business. Yeah, no, that's great. And are you planning on, like I said, maybe I missed that on the previous one. Are you going to be adding more units to your port for your Airbnb, or are you going to stick with just your? Because how many do you have? You how many uh, properties do you have for Airbnb? Is it just a couple? Or uh, one? Airbnb, I have just one. Just yes. one, and so you're going to make it, and you're not going to add any more at this point. You're just going to be really try to run that super efficiently and try to really drive up the reservations for that one for the year? That's right, yeah, yeah. The, the latest property we add is the house I moved in again in last year. Again, it was because the COVID hit in March and then I was, you know, spending too much time in social uh, media platform and then just bored the Netflix and all that, like after two months into the COVID and mm. I was so, so bored. And I'm like, hey, how do, let me look at what kind of properties are wrong. <laughs> yeah. again, then in the other- it, it's interesting how you, how you look at stuff like that. It's interesting that, um, sorry, I'm just going to read that there. Yeah, that, that's what I find very interesting about this whole thing altogether, right? It's okay. It's, it's almost like the ultimate side gig that you can do. As long as you can get uh, one, then it's all about making sure it's profitable and efficient, which is really good. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me just make sure I got this next one here. So what has been, what have you, now you've been doing this for a bit already. What has been like your, the biggest expense you've noticed for running this Airbnb thing? Obviously people are going to think, oh, it's, it must be just actually buying the property. Is there another big expense that uh, a lot of people don't know about? Business expense, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the expense is the management fee and running cost. Uh, so of course there's the lump sum challenges to get to the get to this cottage, but because this is situated in a quality park, and that's the reason why I love it about there's common facility, a swimming pool, basketball court, there's the people manage the, the beach, the private beach, and then there's the playground, there's the golf course, so there's amenities, good amenities in it. And by return, there's a quite a high management fee that you have to pay and cover. Okay, so that's for your particular property, right? Because I guess when people think of Airbnb, they think of either using their own house, that they're maybe not being, or maybe just buy, like you say, just a simple cottage. But, you, but what's unique about yours is that you're in a community that has yeah. a management fee that has all the amenities that's there. Was that one reason that you considered the location? Yeah, exactly. I have to give a good reason about why other people need to come to my cottage. Right. Because the people come with families and they need activities to do. They don't just sit in a cottage and then eat, right? They have kids. Right. And then people who love to have grants hang out is another targeting group. Three couples, for example, and just have a cottage weekend. But if they don't have enough activities to do, they get bored. Those are young people. And in this place, they can go kayak, kayak, they can go golfing, and then they go restaurant, they come back. It's just a more attraction for myself and possible to get. Okay. Yeah, no, that's really good to hear. Maybe we'll pop, we'll put your, your property listing on the show notes so that people can, uh, can look into it and uh, maybe... Like you said, maybe get uh, 
help Jen it out and actually find, get a good, get a nice place to actually stay for a few days. And like you heard, all the amenities are there. You don't really have to go. Maybe just buy your, bring your own food. Maybe go out to a nice place for, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner. But in terms of what to do, and sorry, where, where is your property located exactly for the listeners? It's in Keene, so very close to Peterborough, about uh, two hours away from downtown Toronto. Two hours away. Okay, perfect. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. So when it comes to your business, MJ Property Management. Property Management, yeah. yes. So what type of social media tools do you use to help run your business? I see. That's a good question. So the dominant one is Airbnb itself. It has a lot of exposure AI built into their marketing search engine rank. So they've embedded a lot of wood into Facebook, Instagram, and Google searches. And then all you need to work on is how your listing appear in Airbnb itself. So Airbnb never really disclosed how they rank your property over others. But there are known tricks and then people tried an error. So for example, for example, if you change your price often, they think you're an active landlord user and they will rank you up. And if you get booked um, often, then they think they can get it going faster. If your picture's nice, um, then they think it's more marketable and they will put on there. So when a platform is the Airbnb itself, like as long as you have a good product, you get on that platform and then just magically people just will find you <laughs> magic excellent <laughs> exactly yeah but the side from it is just sometimes they put on many things some deals going on because there's a lot of cancellation i put all my um uh, friend circle sometimes uh, on facebook sometimes on my wechat social media so people know that and, hey there's this uh going on yeah <laughs> oh interesting interesting okay so i think you touched upon this already when we talked about a little bit of the industry we're in the industry section now so airbnb seems to have grown a lot over the last few years so what's basically your opinion on that and where do you think it's going to keep going you mean the airbnb business itself yeah okay so the airbnb itself it was almost dominating the market for the last 10 years there used to be another site that's really their business, at least is 70% market share in the whole, whole earth almost. But just like every industry, as years goes by, you will see that uh, different industry give you more restrictions and different government and trying to get you on how you run business, which will ramp up your operating costs. And then you're no longer to offer it good and cheap. The mm-hmm. same thing as Uber, the same thing as Airbnb. So what I have noticed in the past few years, for example, even this year, Airbnb forced every owner to have a GST HSP account. And uh, because the CRA actually was on, a Canada Revenue Agency was on them, that you have to charge. Because why hotel charge HSP and then give to CRA? Why Airbnb don't charge? What's special about you? So their government were fighting with Canada Revenue Agency for a while, and this year they just don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And then Airbnb, because they have get, getting bigger and bigger, and then they also lost a lot of business over the COVID in Jetberg side. So I found that their fees are getting higher and higher. Like 10, 20, 10 15 years ago, you don't see a, a thing called a service fee. But now, like, say, for example, if a room rent is $100, and then in the end, when you paid, it becomes like $250. And the other $150 is service fee, cleaning fee, this fee and that fee, it's basically just different ways of how they call it. And then, but the thing is that a $100 room, when it becomes 2050, it becomes less compatible 
competitive compared with motel, hotel, and actually the real resort. And so it was this natural market circle that bring everyone into fair competition again. Mm-hmm. So just like uh, Uber as well, like Uber when they came out, it was good and cheap and the platform is so awesome. But after a few years, hey, suddenly you order like a $20 Uber Eats, yen, yen, you pay a tip delivery fee, service fee, and I was like, what you dollars? Like, and then people are now using net. It's mm-hmm. just Airbnb also needs to find a different way of approach that. So explain to me on some of the different fees that are there. Because I like my wife usually books a lot. Mrs. K likes to book a lot of the, if we're going to go anywhere. I'm just there to make sure I have free up times that I can go to it. But so for an Airbnb, so if someone wants to get started and to say, okay, I have an investment property now, I want to put on Airbnb. What are the fees that they would need to know about? That's a great question. Airbnb so, so, so smart in doing this. They only charge 3% commission to a landlord, and they charge 15 to 20% to guests. So really, who pays the guest, Who pays the fee for using Airbnb? The guests. The guests. So the supply is never an issue. So if, I, if my room rent is $100 and my cleaning fee is $100, in the end, I would get $200 times 97%. So really, they only just charge 12 bucks. Wow. And then I get all the rest. But as a guest, you're paying, hey, $100, 20% fee to Airbnb, which they got to keep 100%. Okay, good to know. It's good to know, especially if you're from the owner side. I don't know if you're yeah. this, you're like, if you're the if you're the buyer, or you're like, what are you talking about? 20%, yeah. all this stuff. Well, I might as well just do it myself. But uh, no, th- that's good to know. What we have here right next. So that's interesting that you touched on that. So what are the other misconceptions that people might have when they when they when you tell them that you're an Airbnb super host and you got a property, I'm sure people have some certain questions for you or they might have some certain opinions on it or misconceptions of it. Conceptions. I, I don't I think people value super hosts because they're just basically run their business more superior or efficient than the rest of the people. And the misconceptions about Airbnb in general, actually in hospitality industry, is that people's expectation. There are just certain percentage of, of the customer, I would say 5% to maybe 3% in the whole generation. They are just don't know this price gets them this. They always like a this price, I wanted that. But you can pay a three-star hotel and expect five-star amenity. That's always how it goes. And those target absolutely, those group of the people are hardest to manage because they are quite needy and demanding and they want to sweep the service. And then so her hospitality industry, not just only my Airbnb, but everyone tackle it by just, you know, reset expectation. And sometimes they just wanted some extra of this and that gift amenity or even a rebate or even a refund or even just a genuine apologize of this miss your expectation. And then actually, indeed, they they write really good review and they also, you will come back next year. Yeah, exactly. That's good to know. And I think it's interesting you mentioned, I think that's, I think that's a good stigma of people in general. It's the lowest price that they can get, but they want that, like you said, the five-star amenity, five-star treatment. And I think yeah. level setting the expectations that, okay, you get what you pay for. Yeah, pretty right. much yeah. kind of falls into that. Exactly. Right. Excellent. So we talked about misconceptions. We talked about what people don't know. So in terms of your business uh, venture so far, Janet, so what has been your biggest failure, but also biggest success so far? Mm, that's a good question. The biggest failure, 
And sorry, just I before, I do, biggest, sorry, before you went to that, my wife sometimes she would listen to the episodes. She's like, can you find a better word than failure? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because it's <laughs> obstacle, roadblock. I'm like, no, failure is okay. Because if you're failing in something and you're still in the business, that means you're trying to improve it. If you fail and stop, that means you quit. So failure is not a bad thing. It's just learn this. I tried it this way. It didn't work. I got to pivot it, try something else. And if it's working, then that's okay. So, sorry. Yeah. Go continue, Janet. Biggest yeah, failure. Exactly. Biggest yeah. success. Uh, I think in a lot of in a lot of entrepreneurs' mind, uh, failure. I, I don't think it exists in my vocabulary. To be honest. I think I see everything as a challenge. I would say the biggest challenge I've so far actually was last year. One with one of the, my tenant. He is one of the person that uh, paid the because in the certificate property it was like a three four star rank. But uh, he think he lives in a five star hotel, and uh, he want everything just working towards him. But later I found out it was because he is struggling with his uh, personal life a lot. That's why he has this complaint and rent mentality on people. But the the, the language that he used is uh, quite abusive and uh, not very respectful. Although I'm um, the landlord, you usually would have to be good with the landlord. Otherwise, you might get big into trouble. You might get evicted or this and that. But I don't think he realized that. So he was really being abusive in language with me. And then we, you know, even when I went to see him, he would avoid a conversation. And then he would yell And then I, and then me, I'm nice by nature. I just don't know how to deal with very difficult people. And then I, I felt really sad or anxious. And then sometimes I'm day to day working and then I saw his me- message and I like literally like I, my mind and my body just breathe. Oh my God, what do you want again? I, I don't know how to deal with it. And he's going to start calling me non-stop when I have already a whole day of conference call. And in the end, I, I just said, I leverage different resorts. I talk with the paralegal. I talk with the lawyer. I talk with the other management companies. I talk with the people who know how to deal with difficult people. Because I realized the skill set to deal with difficult people is just not in my uh, skill set. Mm. And that's why I couldn't handle it. So I took those approach combined with all of that. And then just made a three-phase plan. Um, if he does this again, then I will just do this this way. And then if he does the next level, then I will give him the second warning of this. And I also know my legal rights of what I can say, not say human rights, rights, tenants, landlord, board-wise. And then it was until the second phase, not even the third phase, because the third phase is really I want to start evicting him. And it was the second phase. He just suddenly stopped. He realized that he shouldn't do that. He realized that uh, it will mean he's losing his home if he keeps saying that to me. Doesn't matter how you are personally, you need to be nice to people. And suddenly so he become the sweetest person. <laughs> so that was really? the biggest challenge. Yeah, exactly. So that was going to lead into a question that I have to you later on, which is about how do you deal with difficult, uh, you know, clients or guests in this case? So let me yeah. just see if I can unpack this. So he was a tenant who was expecting the world for paying what he yeah. was paying. He thought it should be exactly. a five star. He yeah. was being very difficult, very nitpicky, then started getting to the point of, Abusive to the point of not get not in the eviction side of it, but getting teetering on that. And then suddenly he just and after you had all these resources and you put this plan together, yeah, you kind of put this thing together. And once he got to that certain level, he just suddenly stopped and he started being yeah. a nice tenant. Exactly, he just stopped being using abusive languages because he suddenly realized what kind of 
consequences he will have if he uh, does not stop and continue to do it. Okay. Yeah. Now he now he leaves me alone. I haven't. The best news is no news for him. Be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't expect him to be super cozy and call me and chat. No, no, no. He hasn't really sent me anything. I want A B C D E F G that message. And why don't you give me? If I'm sending to you today, you need to give me tomorrow. Doesn't matter what you do. Otherwise, I need it right now. Just for example, there's one incident that it was a big. No, three was the last month or something. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, my travel, uh, like, it was, we did three, like, the flow just stopped in 30 minutes. And it was, like, really high. It was, like, 60 centimeters. Yes, the, the, big storm, storm. the big storm. Exactly. And then and a half an hour later, after the storm, and he's like, why is my driveway not clean? Why, why don't you, why doesn't your company come? Or why don't you come? And then and, and, and I'm like, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that, okay? And, and probably it, I, I said the expectation in Toronto is no point to be claiming within 24 hours, and that's the city by law. So I don't think we take 24 hours, but we just plan to come in the next two, three hours. It's not going to be 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But he's, what happens if I, I need to go out right now? I just need to go out. Yeah. I'm sorry, your leg's broke? You can't just walk somewhere or, or you can't just order something in or what? I'm trying to figure this out. Unless he has exactly. some type of an appointment that he has to go to somewhere where if you can't get out, you can always Uber it if you want, if you really have to. But if that was, a, yeah. if I recall, you were talking about that storm that hit. Yeah, like I think it was in January of, of 2022 where something like that, it was like yeah. over, over 50 centimeters of snow that hit. Toronto and the surrounding areas, and it was bad here yeah, as yeah. well. I, I don't think people were complaining the white in the city all plow. I'm like, we don't get 50 centimeters in <laughs> one sitting. Usually, yeah. it might be spread out over the year. Yeah. So that, that's why it was a very unique situation. Very interesting yeah. about mm-hmm. that. So, is that yeah. so? The story you just told me there is that the failure and success. The success is that he doesn't really bother you anymore. Well, the success thing, this the uh, challenge, a little challenge is that he doesn't bother you anymore. And now I know the way to deal with not only difficult talent, but yeah, a lot of growing knowledge in that talent aspect. Mm-hmm. But also just in general, how to deal with different people, a difficult people. How do you really stand down and say certain words that? Uh, they cannot treat you this way. Not because I'm your landlord. Just because you cannot treat this way, this way to anyone. Uh, it's just not fair. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then how to shelter myself from not being emotionally drained by those people. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> what a lot of potential landlords or potential hosts or anything get scared of that might be scared off is that they see they they see the real estate, whether it's Airbnb or just getting their own separate property. They like the idea of okay, someone going to be paying you some money every single month or whenever they stay. And I guess the one thing that scares them off is what I call the quote unquote professional tenants that knows how to almost milk (laughs) the system to try to, because I guess in Ontario to evict someone generally for the landlord tenant boards, it's usually very, at least from what I high level view on it, it sounds like it's more tenant leaning versus landlords right oh yeah it's very tenant leaning i would be listened to three court hearings for uh not for the property and manager but for the board i run who has a 38 unit condo we're trying to evict two very problem tenants so once you talk with the judicators in the court room and then you list all your evidence why you want them to be evicted and then and then the ten landlords are, and then the tenants arguing why I shouldn't stay. I don't have a place to live. It's still COVID. I don't have money. My house is separate. Like, and then the Judy Peter sort of just like parked them outside. 
Can I just send it to mediator room and then you guys work out it out? Uh, and then the landlord is really pissed off because the, the reason why I come here is because we couldn't work it out. If we can work it out, we'd already work it out. But the duty kid is, yeah, just try to see if you can you compensate a little more money, give more time. So their idea is to push them still to mediation by themselves versus the key issue of eviction order. And then the judicators, if you look back, they really protect tenants, not the landlord, when it should be fair. In my yeah, I, I think it should always be some, there's always two sides to the story. And for some of my previous guests, when they listened to, uh, I think it was episode eight or nine, where I had Latoya Wallace, the real estate agent and broker, she really talked about being very, having your notes, de- having everything detailed, everything noted, everything documented. So that should worst case scenario, you do go there. If you have a lot of evidence that shows all the communication that was done, the the yeah. time wanted, the dates and times and stuff like that, what was discussed, because apparently for a lot of new landlords, they lose out a lot because they don't have great record keeping. It's more they go off of just the rhetoric of, oh, they were just mean to me. Or they're yeah, just being right. difficult. But I was like, if you're the judge, you need to hear, okay, can you show me proof of this? And it, and for those who don't prepare, they yeah. will lose. 90, 99% of the time, if you don't have your records up to date or everything documented, you go in there, it's not going to go well. Not going to go well at all. Play. Yeah, so. yeah. And I have another great tip for the people who want to tap into this rental risking market but don't really want to deal with the day-to-day headache your tenant management repairs lifting showing turn over suite all those operative things because right. i i i love to do it i'm passionate about doing it myself so that's why i do it but this year i when i was hiring when i was trying to hire a management company for the board i work for which is the building uh, which is a 38 unit building I discovered there are a lot of great management companies, even in the Pickering or uh, HS region you, you, you work for, you lived. So how it works is uh, you would list the unit with the, instead of list, instead of call your real estate agent to list. Mm-hmm. And they have their own way of marketing and then uh, they have their own way of approval. So people always want to find their unit. The finding time is pretty quick, just like with the agent, you're hoping you list it within one month, there will be a firm offer. Usually with them, it is also either instant rental or one offer because they actually have real realtor work in that. But the beauty comes from the price of listing with them is almost similar of price to the listing with realtor. But once you become part of their portfolio, they do everything. They do everything for a fee for $99 or $150 per month. So you're looking like $1,000 to $1,500. They for a single detached unit, mm-hmm. but in this, what is $99? You become the point of contact for your tenant. So you so don't have anything, to deal with it at all? So it's aside from paying that fee, really? They don't call you. They don't know your phone number, okay? <laughs> they have 24-7 service to call someone. It can lead anything, plumbing issues, something, I don't know, dryer doesn't work, need to be replaced. They will go buy it, install it, put it. And then if a plumber doesn't work, then they will go investigate what's going on. They give you the quote. Of course, you pay the bill. They, they, they leverage what kind of source they have. And some of the things, if it's e- an easy of, okay, how to use this, they will go. You tell them you have to drop your work and to go, right? And mm-hmm. then they even have those rent protection plans. For example, I think it was $20 per additional price per month. This is in case if your tenants look like they're amazing. But in the end... They say, I'm not going to pay. And then I know in order to take them to the landlord and tenant board, 
it is a process, but it might take six months. And does that mean six months you just don't have money, right? It right. sounds terrible for people who have tight cash flows. So in this scenario, if you added this twenty dollars extra service, then they pay, they keep paying the rent on behalf of land, uh, the tenant. So you don't have this in fluctuation for your tax flow. Oh, okay. so why, why don't people do it? <laughs> I don't know. I think we just need to find capital to get a house in the first place. So I think exactly that might be myself, my... I'm thinking like in the next turnover I have, I might have to not to do it. Might be. So then we'll get the names of a couple of those companies that you say based out of Ajax and Pickering. So just for my. Local re- local listeners here, sure, a place yeah. that they can contact. Our- now it's time for tips from the pro. So we're going to go to the tips from the pro segment here. So now these are very specific, maybe specific, or some general ones for people that, that want to do the Airbnb space, or maybe they're currently are in that space. So all right, Jen, these are just like five random questions that I guess as a potential Airbnb entrepreneur, what we should know. All right. All right, okay. Janet, question number one. I've on investment property to start an Airbnb business. What should be the first thing I do? So the first thing you need to do is to look at the listing and then see the people who have a lot of listing, uh, a lot of the super host, uh, how is their property look like? Why, what kind of amenity, how the picture look like? And why do they get a lot of the listing? And trying to evaluate with the one that uh, you want to get into. Uh, tell us to do your math to see if uh, it can be sustainable for your cash flow. And plus, you will enjoy it anyway or not because Airbnb, if you can go in and out yourself. Excellent. And so just so I know, because like I said, I'm still very new when it comes to the Airbnb space. So you're a yeah. super host. What are the different tiers of the Airbnb? What are the different levels there? Just a regular and then a super host. Oh, okay, it. good. So it's more than just... Yeah. It's just so when you're when you get a super when you become super host, what is the criteria to become a super host? Is it just number of listings, number of the properties, number of reviews, number of rentals? How much is it? Like how does it work? Everything you said, but no, not to everything you said. Only the number of reviews, and then also how many days in the last uh, how many months, and then also your response rate, and then your cancellation rate. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's okay. five different metrics. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so it's not just, oh, if you have the most bookings, that means you're a super host. It's, like, it's, a, it's a combination of ratings, check-ins, I guess, right, how many yeah. cancellations. So if you're not getting a lot of cancels, then you're probably okay. Yeah, just, right. oh, okay, good to know. Yeah, yeah. All right, mm-hmm. so how do you keep on top of the trends of the Airbnb bit? I think you just need to be always in the know of this company, what kind of a new function, the new app they come. And if they ask you to invite you to add this amenity and then, in order to better market your property, then of course you need to jump on to do it. And then, but bottom wise, just like any hotel or any business, you have to focus on you supply a good product to the market and then your guests are happy with what they get. And then not only happy, but beyond happy. Really good. Exceeding the expectations. Excellent. All right. So more specifically, Janet. What are some decoration tips for my property so they don't look like everybody else? That's a really good unique for property decorations. If you are, if you don't have the eye as the designer, don't pretend it to be. <laughs> it's a long learning curve. Then you can consult a designer. It is a little bit costly. But it will set up very nicely in the end. You outsource the purchasing and buying to that person. And that person set the theme for you, set the color for you, set where stuff should be at. 
and then you just do it once and then that'll be it. And the second thing is that you always need to save a portion of the money for improvement. Just like hotel, the standard is 7% of all the uh, profit needed to go through a uh, renovation uh, budget. Just a cottage as well. There's so many in and out checking out. The wear and tear is very normal. Every three years to two years, you need to do a refresher of the pillows and stuff. Just to make it new and cozy. Yeah. Okay, no, that's, that's really good. So what about some simple business strategies to make it more profitable? Now, I think you talked about, oh, sorry, that was more for the rental market side where you had that company that can handle everything for you. What yeah. about for the Airbnb side? Is there any business tips that you can think of that can make your operation more profitable as a super host or just as a regular host? Yeah, absolutely. So for prop, in, in, in order to get more profit, you either increase your revenue or decrease your expense. So it's so easy to work on two different chunks. Increase your revenue, you, you either... If you have only certain sets of number of units or certain set of nights available for rent, then of course it increases the price because otherwise how are you going to get more revenue? And then if the price is at a ceiling and you don't want to increase anymore, then you need to increase the, the number of property you're scaling up. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then for operation, how do you keep down the cost? You can negotiate with the cleaning company because Airbnb company, Airbnb business, everyone have a different you cleaning it unless you live in the property and you clean yourself. But then your time is also money. A lot of people don't realize that. So, so I do that myself. My rate is higher than cleaner. So I should hire cleaners to do it. So for your cleaners, it's usually the biggest expense and you just negotiate them in chunk. At the beginning of the year, you instead of say, hey, this is $100 per clean, you, you can be like, you know what? I can almost secure you that you will be able to have at least 50 10 over cleans in this season. So can you do 80 bucks instead of $100 versus people who just, you know, have no security. And I think that's the, to make sure, to make sure you have a really good product. Cause I think if you're that cleaning company, if someone's like, oh yeah, I can guarantee you, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to have this much. Some of them, what are you talking about? My standard raise a hundred. Yeah. Right. So it could be, like you said, it could be a trial thing. And as you can see, whether it's this, I think you have the advantage of saying, of showing you, okay, here's how much work that was done last year. I'm expecting the same amount. So I think for me, that first year of operation might be a bit of, okay, maybe the first few cleans might be at your rate, but once we hit a certain tier, maybe the the fifth clean, that's when you start bumping your price down. And of course, once you get all that. So that's a really good tip, especially working with cleaners. Any other business tip you, any other ways to keep expenses down aside from uh, cleaning? From a business that closes down, I would say just uh, trying to use some of the dollar uh, dollar store stuff. I supply disposable utensils to people because it's COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have those fancy plates that people sometimes they don't want to use, reuse the stuff. So those store has a lot of looking fancy stuff that you can get. Walmart is vendor I use quite a bit. Costco, they have a lot of those Airbnb, Costco business center mm-hmm. have a lot of good products that small business can use. So that's the three vendors I use the most to keep my cost down. Okay, no, that's pretty good. So our next question here. So is there any special insurance that I need to get as an Airbnb host? Yeah, that's a great question. Airbnb already have a landlord and a tenant insurance. You don't even have to worry about that. Okay. So is it part of the fee that they're taking for being on the site and stuff? Correct. Yes. Okay. And we talked a bit about this too, about the strategy for difficult guests. You've already talked about it, knowing, I guess, talking to the right people, different companies and finding that 
process that you're going to be doing. Okay, we'll move on to that one then. Let's see what we got here. So we have some personal questions, but this is more along the lines of, I think you've already touched up on it. So you talked mm-hmm. about back in, back when you started, like you said, you got your first property at 18 and all that sort of stuff. So what is your family's view on, I guess, the small business world, right? Because for some families, they could be either their very entrepreneurial spirit, but then there yeah. are other families that are very much what are you talking about? Just get a job at a big company or a big hospital or a big public sector job and then just stay. So how was how your family's view on, especially when you're, because obviously you're very successful already for your regular day job, but when you wanted to venture yeah. out into this real estate investor, Airbnb super host, what were their thoughts on it? Yeah. So my family has an entrepreneurial spirit from both my husband's side and then my own side. Actually, they probably believe I should just open wide business versus actually have a full-time job. <laughs> yes. So as a strategy, they're a complete support of it. But there's a lot of hesitation and judgment when I actually, you know, launched this. So for example, for my family, okay, we bought this cottage and let's just turn it into Airbnb. And everyone just like, oh my gosh. Then, you know, all the question mark. Okay, what happens with this? How do I list this? What do I pricing this? Like, who's going to claim? And how does that work? Like, I want 200 questions, like, in mind. And then no one just spoke. But whenever I approach a business idea, I never go just as a concept. I told them a whole business package. So I'm like, okay, so let's talk about the details. I'm thinking that we can list the Airbnb, we can market in this way. And I think operation-wise, we need to find this, this, and that. I haven't found them yet, but I think this is how we can challenge it. And then software-wise, I found that we need to have a good picture. So basically, all I came to everyone who asked for any resource or support with a whole business plan. And all that needs to be in my mind already before opening the first sentence, even even mentioning it. And then this way they'd be like, oh, I guess it's possible. And then they, they're, they're used to me have those crazy ideas and always make them come true. So now that I have another crazy idea, they'll be like, okay, what's next? What's next? <laughs> so it's just basically having a really good plan. And I think some people make the mistake of they might have an idea. And they yeah. just, they disclose it too soon before they figured out maybe yeah. 70, 80% of what needs to be done. Just yeah. Because it's just a concept. They're saying, oh, I'm thinking of this. And for yeah. our family and friends, our loved one, well-intentioned most likely, might be yeah. like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Sweetie? Exactly. Why and would you do that? I'm doing more work. You're doing other work. Like, yeah, and then the I workload. Mean, uh, right. One of the best tips I think I've heard from one of my previous guests, and he runs an ice cream shop here in Ajax and really successful, is that he's had a lot of people pitch him ideas. One of the best ideas he said is, if you have an idea, run it by a business professional. Because <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you what it is. Because you'll either get the yeah. family or friends that will say you're crazy, or yeah. they'll do the opposite and say, that's an awesome idea, but they don't really have any no. idea exactly. They might exactly. not be in the, in the business world. So to them, it's, I just want to, I don't want to kill their dream. So I'm just going to say, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, so yeah, ha- yeah. speaking to someone with experience, like, like Janet as well, like even if it's not the same kind of business, I think if I was going to start something, else i can always run it by jets okay here's what i'm thinking and here's the here's 80 percent of the questions i think of am i missing anything and then so at least you're getting it from a place of someone who's done who's run a successful operation to be like okay i have to tweak some things good to know yeah yeah so what has been the funniest airbnb story you've had so far Oh, funny story. Yes. Let me think. Within this uh, three, four years uh, running this uh, cottage Airbnb business, there's a 
what kind of uh, guests that are coming to you guys? Coming to the cottage, some of them I met because I just happened to be checked out that day. I was enjoying the cottage myself, and they check in, and I'd be like, I welcome them. Some of them that I never see them, and then just just message back and forth. I think the funny story will be some people who really they, you know, they they are the people who the mom and dad who really love to hold the family together. Like one one daughter is in Toronto, the other daughter is in Ottawa. And then the, my property is exactly in the middle of this place. And then they just book the business place and they have a kid. And then their daughter and sons and the grandsons all together. And then in the end, uh, they send me those uh, pictures about how much fun they had. And when they leave, they write me a little hand and note card saying how much they love it. And that just makes me like making business, making money is one thing. It's the backbone of business. But uh, why I want to make a business is, is I want to offer people a happy journey, a happy place where they really cherish each moment with their family. That was the reason why. And I feel like that just means everything. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Like when I think any business owner should think about who are you trying to service? Who are you trying to help? So in, in Janet's case too, like this Airbnb was to give the those families and friends that experience, that awesome experience being in that location was something that really means a lot to her. And for myself running my business here is really to get to hear the stories of small business owners talking about their stuff and just gushing about how it is. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's what I really enjoy doing as well. So I think I feel like I'm helping them out. That's why I like to service that. So now that we speak about some of these things, you do a lot of different things, Janet. So you have your Airbnb super host, you have multiple different properties that you guys are managing with your property management firm, regular day job. Oh, and I think you're married and I think you have children and I think you have a pet. So how does Janet juggle all these balls right now? And what advice can you give? That, and what? Yeah, and, and on top of that, so what you said, I'm also the uh, president of two boards. For oh yeah, that's uh, not, not a lot of work at all, right, Janet? It, you know, it's easy, right? No, I'm kidding. Of course, it's a lot of work. So that just adds to it. So how do you yes. do it when most people can just get burned out just by just the regular one day job kind of thing? Why, how do you do yeah, it with your... Yeah. It is really good, rigid planning and hardworking. So every day there is also always a portion of time I uh, allocated to my own self, uh, like a morning routine and a night routine of exercising and then music and reading. And then this anchors to myself what I really want in my life versus what my kids want from me, my, my job want to want from me, because then you get pulled from this. And then when, and then in the daytime hour is dedicated to full-time job because that's uh, what they pay me for. That's what basically I sold my time for. And then between, for example, 5 p.m. all the way to 9 p.m., this is the family time. I need to get my kids to bed and then read and then play because this is the time they deserve. I want to be a good mom and a good husband, a good wife to my husband. Mm-hmm. And then after nine, and it just go back to work again. It's nine to uh, 11, 12 p.m. It's when I deal with those touch points on real estate, different touch points on the board that I serve, different thing about is there anything new I want to launch? And then back to my night routine to close my day. So it's a lot of hours working at play, but with the family support. Really good. I think, like you said, that segment of time that you have carved out over the course of your day, if the 24-hour pie, you have at least slices for family time, which is really good because I think it's it's true, when you, especially when you first start. You, you almost want to be doing the business almost every day, almost 24 hours yeah. a day if you could. And that just yeah. leaves, and I think one of my previous guests mentioned, it's you're trying to run a marathon at a sprint's pace. 
Yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. 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 You don't want to burn out. Yeah. Because it's plus, it, you know, you want to be happy all of life. You don't want to, you work at the burden that you have to do it. You need to feel happy when doing it, enjoying the process. If, it, if something burns you out too much, just take a pause or exit from it. Maybe you're just simply not good in doing that. Then mm-hmm. you need to look at new things. Yeah. Yeah. Or new I've things. already had my son come up to me and he said this bluntly to me, my son's dad, are you trying to become famous? And I said, what are you talking about? Because I guess he's sometimes wondering when I'm not working on my regular day job, I'm working on the podcast and working on the editing of the episodes. So I guess sometimes he sees that uh, he never gets to really hang out with me as much. And I Uh think the idea of him, if if I've ever become famous and make uh, a lot of money on doing this, that it's I'll be taken away from him in that respect. And I'm like, no, this is not how it's going to work, son. But you, I'll be as famous as I can get. So if that means I'm the only famous podcaster in Ajax... So be it, right? If that's my (laughs) biggest success, that's okay. But I think that spending the time with the family, especially the kids, because they only are this age once. Exactly. They grow up really fast. And I'm looking forward to when my son comes. I'll be surprised, Janet, when my son Gabe comes up to me and says, Hey, Dad. And I'm like, wait, why is your voice lower? That doesn't seem right. It's true. Having having support is vital to any small business. I think doing a small business where you don't have that support, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. And I outsource anything that I don't like or I believe is the lower value to myself, like cleaning. I don't do anything. No, that's like good. laundry, I don't do anything. <laughs> Cooking, I don't do anything because I don't have time for it. All right. <laughs> Whatever works. All right. We're just near the end there, Jenna. We're approaching that one hour mark. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. And we got this rapid fire round where we ask yeah. a lot of just more lighthearted questions because we went through all the business stuff already. Yeah. All right, here we go. Question number one. What would the 15-year-old self imagine you would be doing right now? Oh, we'll be an entrepreneur. That's the, the dream I had when I was uh, eight years old or something. Yeah. All right. That was a new one. That's not what I'm used to hearing. Okay. All right. Next question. What is something you hate, but you wished you loved? I something I hate, I wish I love. I wish I love really wake up really early in the morning, 6 a.m. and then be ready to go and be sufficient and then, you know, energetic. But I just cannot be sufficient and energetic at 6 a.m. My body doesn't really, really wake up until 8 or 9. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Janet, you haven't heard my episodes, but I, my day starts at 4.30 a.m. Monday to Friday. Wow. Oh my God. So good. 4.30 a.m. I go to bed. Oh my God. I go to bed maybe around 10 if I'm lucky, sometimes 10.30. Okay. And oh my God, lucky. I do that Monday to Friday. Now I sleep in on the weekends uh-huh. at 6 a.m. That That's my sleep in weekend oh, schedule. Oh, that's a sleepy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. See, I, I would not have that, but I didn't know. It's just, you know what? I think it's true for a lot of people is that that time that you have to just ease into your day. I, yeah. Like when before COVID, I would, when I would wake up later on, let's say 6 a.m., that Mrs. K and I are getting the kids ready for school and all this sort of stuff. I feel like it's too fast and too hectic. Like you're going to miss something. Oh, okay. So that yeah. I started picking earlier times so that I can ease into my day. Get everything yeah. ready, prepared, so that when we have to go, because I used to work downtown, yeah. then to make the commute then. But yeah. now, I think I'm just so used to waking up so early that my kids almost have a contest to see who can wake up first. And I oh basically, my God. I basically said, yeah, you're not going to beat daddy. Daddy will always beat you guys. You, there's no way you do it. Because they'll wake up around like 6.30 in the morning just to try and see if they beat me to it. And no. the one time they did beat me to it, 
it's because we had some like my I think my nephews were sleeping over, so they were uh, visiting, and then they all woke up a few minutes before me. And my kids, Janet, would not let me hear the end of it to say that we finally beat Daddy waking up early. No, I'm like I don't know why, but okay. So yeah. what? I'll answer, my, I'll answer this question myself too. What do I hate that I wish I loved? I'm gonna say durian, <laughs> that fruit, that really oh, smelly my fruit. My Mrs. K and the kids love it. I do not. I wish I loved it because they never leave me alone with it because they they know that when they're gonna if the, if my if Mrs. K brings it and buys it from the grocery store, she waits for me to go upstairs to shower before they cut it open because they know how much I don't like it. But yes, I wouldn't mind it. And for those who don't know, it's this really prickly looking fruit. And the tagline <laughs> that I've heard for Durian's case is "smells like heaven." Sorry, no. <laughs> Smells like hell, tastes like heaven. That's all I've yeah. heard. I don't know if that's true or not, but I can't <laughs> seem to like it. I've tried it several times. I don't know. But all right, next question here. What is the weirdest thing you find attractive in a person? Uh, weird and attractive. In yeah, person. the weirdest thing that you find attractive in people. Oh, interesting. I love studying psycho psychology and then also uh, social just see how people with the mind work and different personality are. Because I'm a management, management as well. And then that's how I'm going to communicate and then lead people and guide people in their development plan. Mm -hmm. I always feel when interesting people's personality is hit both of the two extremes. So, for example, the people who are super cherished, extrovert, are fluffy and outgoing, sunshiny is usually the people who is not very organized and then have a good plan or execute something with really good efficiency. But once I feel people, see people that is, they both can do this and do this almost in two extreme um, sides of the uh, rainbow, it just shows to me that he come um, from this childhood background but got that education or that afterlife is being influenced this way. And this person then is so well-rounded and then eating this spectrum. It's so beautiful. I don't fascinate it. <laughs> no, I always find that when I see people, how they treat others, whether it's yeah. in a restaurant or a retail shop, that's what I find attractive for the people that treat staff very nicely. Mm -hmm. For some reason, if I see, if I'm with people and they're rude to people for whether it's the waiter or whether it's like a hotel concierge, that really rubs me the wrong way. But when wow. I see them actually treating people with respect and being very nice to them, I yeah. find that a very attractive because it's easy to be negative. I think sometimes it might yeah. be harder to be positive. So that's a yeah. good thing to know. All right. Let's see. What's the next one? Ah, yes. All right, Janet, this might be a tough one for you. Would you rather go 30 days without your phone or your entire life without dessert? Oh, it's not. And I think I can do both of them. You yeah. can do both. I, I can do both. I think a phone would just make my work so efficient. That I can be informed on anything, I can do any type of, uh, you know, communications and good. But uh, sometimes I play with the idea of what if I just leave my phone for 30 days? I feel like I can launch a whole new business. Yes. That's what I did. Steve Jobs did. That, like, they just went to, he just went to India and uh, he become almost like a monk and then really think about what he wants to achieve in life. And he came back and he launched Apple. Wow. So, so that's where, and, and a dessert is like, hey, like I, I, I'm not a sweet tooth person. And then 
I think not having dessert will make my stomach not as upset anyway. So you might just take it away, sir. Maybe it doesn't exist in the world. It's even better. You know what? Like I mentioned in the intro, I've actually had a few CanFit people on the show. So there's yourself. Okay. Brian's yeah. been on my show. Yeah. Aaron's been on my show. And the other Aaron who used to... You know, be a chef on what also had on my oh, yeah, podcast. I remember Aaron. Yes. So the two Aaron's plus Brian's episode is going to be coming up a little bit later on. But all of us have had something. And Brian called me evil for asking that question about the 30 days without a phone and or a lifetime without dessert. Because he is, for those who don't know, like you'll hear him on an upcoming episode. He loves cake. Huh? He loves cake. <laughs> Not that he loves cake too, but the fact that he's also a digital marketing, he, he launched a digital marketing company. Oh, so the idea man. of him taking his phone away for 30 days, he said, Ken, you're evil. So <laughs> interesting. So you're good with either. You can either start yes. your own business without a phone or your yeah. stomach will be good without the All right. Absolutely. Good to know. Yeah. All right. Uh, last two questions and we'll wrap it up there, Janet. All right. This is a, this could be an Airbnb question, but this could also be a personal Janet question. Toilet paper over or under? What do you mean over under? How, right, you, what do you mean? how you hang the toilet paper is that does it come down or do you pull it from, so do you put it over the top or do you pull it from underneath? What is the best oh, way see. for toilet paper? Oh, I just uh, pull it from underneath. Underneath? Yeah, yeah. You'll be surprised how many heated debates there's been, Janet, over how you're supposed to hang toilet paper. My, oh, yeah. my wife is an avid on the, you have it roll, you have it on top. So you pull down. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I would prefer to pull from underneath, right? Uh-huh. But for some reason... That's a big question for a lot of people, but not yourself. That's okay. So last question we got here, Janet. I always I tell this to all my guests. What is your theme song? So you're walking to the office or you're walking in. That song plays. People turn and they know it's Janet. What song is that? Oh, I see. I don't have because I don't listen to music a lot. And I'm a terrible singer. <laughs> No, it, it, it's it's the same. Sometimes it's the same. It's uh, it's sometimes it's the internal voice that I say to myself. Even like whenever things are really hard, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, like next week, it's not gonna be easy because I'm gonna be confident to resolve it today. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, no music. Anytime Janet's walking, there's something. There's a song going on in her head. That's all we need to know. So good no. to know. There's not. <laughs> <laughs> there is no music. There is just motivational praise going on in her head to get her going. That's Good right. to know. All right. So any last final thoughts, Janet, on any other advice that you want to give the listeners and uh, where can they find you on social media? I say you can easily find me on LinkedIn and then you just uh, type a Janet then and then you maybe type a Cineplex as well and that's the place I work. So the advice is if we, there's always a burning in your mind that you want to start something. Try to visit that back often, even though you don't want to start today. But when whenever you visit often, you will be more true to yourself. It's important to you. It's important to you. If one day you have accumulated enough strength and motivation, and then just start because you will not be regret by your failures. You will be regret that you never tried it when you were young. Ah, very nice, Janet. So I guess the best place you heard was to reach you out was through LinkedIn at Janet Zhang, and you can type in Cineplex as well. All right, Janet, awesome to have you on the show. We'll be looking forward to bring you back, especially if we have more user questions. I think we might do a segment just on Airbnb by itself, and maybe we'll have Janet <laughs> back on to answer all 1 million questions of Airbnb people might have. <laughs> so thanks for being on the show, Janet. Thank you, Ken.
All right, guys, that was our episode with Jen Zhang of MJ Property Management. And I think we got a lot of information out of that episode. I think some of the nuggets that I appreciated from that episode was one, um, really contacting the experts that, especially if it's a skill set that you're lacking, like in Janet's case, dealing with difficult tenants or difficult people, talking to paralegals, you know, lawyers, just to have just a kind of a plan on how to deal with if this tenant does so this again. Uh, I think that's a very good piece of information to have. I think negotiating with any service provider that you're going to be doing, especially for an Airbnb business, which we talked about before, where it's different from when you're renting out a property, you're getting paid monthly. And then when they leave, you only have to make up that apartment or that unit very rarely. But for anything like whether you're a hotel or an actual Airbnb one, where you get a lot of turnover because people are staying for only two days, five days that uh, to really negotiate a good rate for that type of service. So in Jan's case, starting off with maybe paying a full fee for this provider for the first few cleans. And then as after they hit that tier, then the price goes down because then it shows that stability you have. Because a lot of service providers, they're not too, they don't want to discount their rates unless they feel that they're getting enough volume of work that it makes sense for them. So I think that's another great strategy to have as well. And really coming up with having a good plan I think that's also a really good thing. A few episodes we've already talked about this, but if you listen to what Janet was saying, is that she actually, before she discloses what type of business she wants to do, she already has up to 80% of potential questions that she might have from loved ones and family and friends. Because I think, like I mentioned in the episode, we have the tendency to want to blurt out, yeah, I'm thinking of doing this. And then when we hear all the questions from our loved ones, and then we get overwhelmed because we haven't thought that far ahead. It really either makes you not want to do it or it makes, it doesn't give the person you're telling a lot of confidence that you know what you're doing. So I think those three things are something that's very key that we should focus on any business that we're working on. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode, guys. I had a great time recording it and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.